0: welcome to the first ever podcast about surfing in the world this is the first one it's a new concept and we hope people like it
1: hello and welcome back to the drop this is michael Saramella and this week we have a little bit of a shorter episode because we're not going to have the stab cusp just yet at the time of recording, G-Land has not yet concluded, um, some really interesting things have happened, but Stace and I are going to get all into that in a few days when we drop a special Cusp episode that's going to cover everything from g into a preview of El Salvador, so look out for that on Monday or Tuesday. But for now, uh, Buck and I, we are just going to cover everything that happened this week in surfing. And there was kind of a lot. Basically, the IOC came out and explained how people can qualify for the 2024 Surfing Olympics at Chopu. The rules are a little different from last year. So we're going to cover all the changes, the loopholes, and the sort of master puppetry that the ISA has worked into this. On top of the rules around changing your nationality, which is something that we're seeing more and more. We're also going to talk about a bit of a conspiracy, really, that could shake you to your core. The idea is that surfing might have actually peaked a decade ago, and we have some evidence to back this up, so stay tuned on that. We're also going to talk about some developments that aren't going to happen in Fiji, but that bring up an ethical debate about surfing and what it means to create waves. And last but not least, we're going to have a surf sin that I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate to. I couldn't personally... But um, that's just because I'm a very small person uh, in in more ways than one. So anyway, stay tuned. This is going to be a great episode. And yeah, let's get into the show.
0: All right. Hello, Miguel. Miguel, hello. Buckley, how are you doing? I am very good. Um, Today I had the pleasure of witnessing what I think was the most pathetic thing I've seen in surfing in at least the past year. Maybe more. Oh wow! Was it the elimination round of the uh, the Gland Pro? It was not. That was that was pretty pathetic, though. It really was. But no, it topped that. It was it was far worse. Well, what was it? <laughs> okay, okay. We got we got maybe chest high waves here today. A little bit of wind blown into the rights. I don't really like that, but whatever. We're dealing. Um, I'm out alone, and I literally have this thought of like, fuck. Like I just wish there was somebody to. Be out here with me and like surf the waves are so fun there's whatever a little bit of wind but it's a good time and all of a sudden I see this person appear on the beach I'm like okay cool like potential friend this is good um which is why you know sometimes I question like this growth in surfing it's just I don't experience it I still just surf alone I still wonder where all these like apparent newcomers are but um side note this guy just doesn't make it into the lineup um, there was a big channel on the side of the right. And then even if you went like over on the left, there's still a pretty easy way to get out. It was just not a day where that's warranted. Like literally if you walk down enough, you could get out dry hair. Uh, he fails to make it out. Whatever happens, happens, proceeds to have a photo shoot on the beach with his surfboard. Um, and this wasn't like a foamy, like a foamy. I'd get it. Sure. Whatever. You're outside. You're having a nice day. This was like This was an epoxy. I could tell Had like the black rails, I don't think it was a JS, but it was like a decent looking shortboard and I was flabbergasted.
1: (laughs) Like waves in the background of his shot and everything. Like, like I just surfed this.
0: The whole nine, the whole nine. That's incredible. Who was shooting him? Yeah. He had a girl down with him. And so she witnessed it and just endorsed the whole deal. She was like, yep. Wow. I ended up with a great guy here. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm coming off today.
1: Jeez, where do you think he was from if if you had to stereotype?
0: Ooh, a few German plates in the lot on the way up. A few German plates in the lot. I would guess that. There were some vans. I'm guessing kind of like a van life situation. Maybe that's why you had such a small board. Couldn't fit a big board in there. Not enough space. So, yeah, really pathetic. Uh, listeners, please never do that.
1: <laughs> well, how did that impact your session? I feel like that would have taken a toll.
0: So I didn't see the photo shoot... Until a little bit after, like they hung on the beach, and I only really saw the photo shoot at the end. They just he just kind of sat there in his wedding for a while, so the, the session was fine. I thought maybe like figure it out and be like I almost like wanted a point but like go down there and you sneak out. Um, so I only saw the photo shoot at the end. So not a huge impact on my session. Just just a, a drive away where you go, wow, this is just this is horrible. This
1: is new age surfing, right? Like people complain about there being too many people in the lineups, but I think they're just getting confused with what they see on Instagram.
0: I guess so, man, because like I said, that's the closest I came to surfing with somebody all week, and and that's how it went. (laughs) Well, I guess that's not so bad then. It's not so bad. We're doing all right. Let's get into the news. Texas bread. Texas toast. You ever had that? I'll get into that. Sorry. (laughs) Texas bread, Oahu raised, Aaron Brooks now surfs for Team Canada. Uh, Mikey, your thoughts on Texas toast? I think a lot of us just call it garlic bread, but uh, initially, what's your what's your take? <laughs> is that what it is? I don't even know what it is. Texas toast, I believe, is just garlic bread. Yeah.
1: Oh, huge fan of garlic bread. My uh, my my dad's um, it's my dad's specialty. It was like a running joke in the family that every single time he made garlic bread, it came out just crispy, charred black. Like, I forgot to take it out of the oven every single time. So, yeah, some of my best memories are just eating totally burnt garlic bread. And, like, him trying to salvage it, like, oh, no, you can just scrape a little off the top. It's
0: fine. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> well, Erin Brooks's garlic bread, her Texas bread, is presumably much better. Uh, as we both saw at Stab High last year, she landed what many people consider to be the best air ever landed by a female. Uh, that was at the age of 13. Now she's 14, and as she has Canadian roots through her dad, who has a Canadian passport, she's... Uh, she's going full maple leaf with the whole thing so olympics coming up 2024 in paris slash chopu same place technically i guess (laughs) in the eyes of the ioc but uh yeah this was a huge week for that not only did we have this aaron brooks announcement but we also had the announcement of how that whole qualification system will work and it has been a big week
1: yeah huge so I think my biggest takeaway from the Aaron thing, which I might have—I feel like I kind of knew, but like this cemented it—is that you can only change your nationality once, as far as any of these Olympic sports are concerned. But interestingly, in Erin's case, because she's never competed for the U.S. or for Hawaii on an international or in an international event, she, this doesn't actually count as a change. So theoretically, in the future, she could change back to the USA or I guess Hawaii if you're in the the WSL. Um, So she's got some wiggle room.
0: Sorry, I just have to stop you there. I prefer if you use the term transition.
1: (laughs) Sorry, she she can transition. She can um, identify with another country if she chooses to. Um, So yeah, and this is, I mean, so we spent obviously that uh, trip in Costa Rica with Erin Stab High, which she ultimately won. And we also got to spend a lot of time with her family and in particular her dad, who just kind of strikes me as like a really savvy guy, like just really onto it. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think this is probably, like the story goes into it, how actually it was the Canadian, um, you know, surfing team guy who reached out to them. But like, I could definitely see him digging in and finding out the finer details of this and realizing, like, oh wow, this could really work in her favor.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I think, I bet there's probably something about her dad not having a surf background. You know, I feel like if you have that, especially if you grew up around it, you have certain ideas of what a path could look like and he doesn't have that at all, you know? And so I think he really sees like big picture for her and is able to see opportunities that you might not see if you weren't fully deep in the surf world from day one, which is not to say people that were fully deep in the surf world uh, don't do that. We have, this isn't the the only news here. Um, Jesse Mendez serves for team Italy. Now I saw Ooh. he was, he was representing Italy at the challenger series the first few events this year. Huge news coming there. Stay tuned. We've got a just hilarious bit of news coming in terms of that. Um, Keep an eye on the website. Wait, but is that, isn't that kind of like
1: weird that his wife transitioned to Brazil and then he transitioned out of Brazil? (laughs) Like,
0: it really is, huh? I mean, they are such an international couple now, though. Holy shit.
1: Yeah, Hawaii, Brazil, anywhere. Italy. Yeah, jeez. Okay, well, good for them.
0: Hell of a life. It's going to be good for that <laughs> little TV show they have.
1: Yeah. Um, and then, so, a few of the other changes that came up in this year's Olympic qualifying is that instead of 20 surfers in the men and women's, there's going to be 24. And you know how last year there was that rule where you could only have two surfers per gender per nation? That's why you know we saw Felipe Toledo have to sit it out because Gabby and Italo finished above him in the CT the year that they took the qualifiers. This year, however, there's a bit of a loophole. There's a way to get a third surfer in on your team on both the men's and women's side, and that's by winning the 2022 or 2024 ISA World Surfing Games as a team. And it's a pretty interesting little game the ISA is playing. Like, if you really dig into these rule changes, you, you see kind of. I it's mean, brilliant. you can you can speculate at least what their thinking was. Um, so it essentially guarantees that they're going to get all the best surfers in the world in their events for the next at least three years, and they'll probably figure out a way to do it beyond that as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, first or the next major event, the. Uh, ISA World Games, World Surfing Games in Heinden, which the waiting period starts literally the day after the WSL Final Five waiting period ends. So they know exactly what they're doing. I mean, this is such an obvious way to just get, like, the world's best surfers, the WSL surfers, into their events uh, consistently, and I mean, to me, it's a win-win. Like, one, we get another event that's going to be interesting to watch, and two... If there's a situation like uh, the last Olympics, Felipe earned a spot. I mean, he got fourth in the world in that that one year, uh, 2019, which would have qualified him, but it didn't because Gabe and Italo were higher. Um, I think it's a win-win. I think it's great.
1: Yeah, it's interesting too, because last year I think we were pretty critical of it because of the whole situation, but I just appreciate a good game of chess, and I think that the ISA is playing that really well right now. Like, and even if you remember last year... The surfers who qualified via the CT still had to compete in the ISA World Games that preceded the Olympics. That was like part of their requirements. But you remember too that surfers like Carissa Moore and Caroline Marks went down and they surfed one heat and then they pulled out because they framed it as basically like we don't feel right taking away other people's opportunity, which is nice and fair. But this time around, they're going to be really encouraged by Team USA to stay in and try to win the thing. Because by winning the thing, they get an extra slot into the Olympics, which obviously gives you a better chance of winning medals. It's better for the country. It's better for everyone.
0: And yeah, it's just it's pretty brilliant the way it was all strategized. It is. It is. And speaking of chess games, I just can't wait for the next Olympics or 2024 yeah, because it's going to be fun to watch, but also to see if every single surf brand has done what Bill Bung did last year in sneaking their logo on <laughs> Utilo's surfboard. Which was, I think there we ran something, I think, with Timmy Patterson where he was talking about the model. Like They said that was the Stoken model. And then there was another thing that came out. that He was riding a completely different model <laughs> in terms of Timmy's eyes. So good luck with that, uh, surf brands. It's, it's clearly not too tough to figure out. It's not too police. So uh, look for a nice logoed out Olympics in... 2024, I'd say. And, Buck, one last thing on this. Um, I've come
1: across some information that you might be applying for Poland uh, citizenship or a passport or something that could potentially grant you, uh, yeah, eligibility for an upcoming Olympics. Is this true? Are you going to be big dick Polish surfer?
0: I mean, all right. So, I've lived in Europe for six years, but I've never had citizenship. I've just had, like, legal long-term residence. And... My wife and I wanna stay here. She has Polish roots. Her grandparents were born in Poland and they're like many other nations like Italy, which a lot of people are doing. Uh, If you just go through the the process, it takes a little bit of time if you're not Jesse Mendez, but if you go through the process, just some paperwork. uh, There's lawyers that can help you with it for fairly cheap. And so she started that process maybe six months, eight months ago. It's all going well, just step by step, but a good chance that she has a Polish passport in the next year or two which would make me eligible for one if we were to live in Poland for a year. Um, you know what? I'm going to send an email to the Polish Surfing Federation see if we've got a little workaround here because, um, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe Big Dick Polish Surfer needs to hit Hainan Beach, take out some scalps.
1: <laughs> Love to see it. Love to see
0: it. The CT's mid-event jungle blowout. Wow. This is one of those things where you talk about and you realize that the the power really is just in the video. There's something that spoken word or written word can't really do compared to what a video does. And so the video we're referencing, just to give it my best shot, is one of the CT's best surfers just having a massive night at G-Land when the waiting period had been called off for a bit.
2: Fucking stinky boots. <laughs> Are you recording? Let's
0: go nuts! I can't smell And... Comment sections on the internet can be just horrible, horrible places. It skews negative almost 90% of the time. But this one I think was universally loved. It was just surfers partying in a way you haven't seen in a while. It was all over Instagram and it was just a feel good moment for professional surfing.
1: Couldn't agree more. And God, in my mind, this actually disproves Bobby's whole theory. Because the way I see it, you know, the only reason they're able to party like this is because of the mid-year cut, right? If they were worried about where they were going to finish at the end of the year, if they were going to make the cut, if they were going to, you know, do this or that, then they'd be thinking like, oh, I need to probably take it easy, you know, have a nice night of waters and and protein shakes and go to bed at 9 p.m., wake up for another early call. But now there's no stress on anyone. Um, You know, all you have to do is make it into the top five to make it into the world title thing. So that's not like a huge leap for the guys at the top. And then guys at the bottom, they're like, man, my job's pretty much done for the year. I just get to surf and have fun. So the mid-year cut actually makes surfing less of a tennis tour. It loosens it up. It brings it back to the heyday.
0: It loosens it up. And it yeah, I think it, it helps that G-Land so remote. You know, like I feel like if it was on the Gold Coast or something, that wouldn't really happen because there'd be a million people pestering everybody. And they wouldn't really be able to let their guard down like that. But I think having it so in such a remote location where they just, it was surrounded by people that they knew. I mean, G was locked down for it is locked down for it. So it's like just surrounded by people that you're already friends with. And like, it it makes sense. Like I hope it becomes a yearly tradition. The, the Fiji event was notorious for that because of the same deal. It's just the whole Island was taken over for it. So there, like we've talked about here, there's talk of this switching to Fiji for next year, but either way, that being the first event after the mid-year cut should become just a notorious party in surfing, (laughs) I think. It's what we need.
1: I agree. And I actually heard a little rumor that, uh, the party continued for some of the surfers. Um, so Gabriel and Italo actually left G land during some of this flat spell and they cruised back over to Bali um, I don't have any details on what went down, but I think you can assume that you know if you're going to take a three-hour fast boat, you're not going to do it to just you know sit poolside and, and drink a few drinks. Like you're probably going to go out and have a fun time. So I think it's pretty amazing that they kind of kept that going.
0: That is incredible. Imagine if they just stayed. They're like, ah, we're both going to just figure out the top five anyway. <laughs> like you guys can just figure out who's going to win. Well, yeah, waste IG Gland.
1: Yeah, maybe my favorite thing this whole uh situation was a a comment on the story that we wrote about it on the site the uh the old good old green room times wrote meanwhile kelly's on his boat in the channel phoning in a noise complaint at 9 p.m to eric logan after the noisy kids next door were having an out of control party (laughs) which is just so beautiful like i mean you know obviously it plays into kelly's age and the fact that while everybody else is like on the island you know Sweltering, He's like out on this luxury boat just parked off the coast in Chilean with his little exclusive party. Yeah, it's just, it's so good.
0: Well, that brings up a similar thought. I was thinking that, okay, I could be wrong here, but in anything I saw, I didn't locate one John John Florence in it. Hmm. I think that's curse worthy. I think that by not attending this, you get cursed. I don't think... I'm going to eliminate him as a 2022 world title contender. Like, I, I don't think that you could not go to that and win. That's wow.
1: simple. Well, you know who else? Yeah. You know who else I didn't see in any of these? Who? Tyler Wright. Oh, well, I mean, she had COVID, so. But did she have it before that?
0: <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> Let's hope not.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Let's hope I don't know. she
0: did and got caught before or got caught, got like tested and figured it out before.
1: That's true. We don't know when she tested positive, but it's either possible that she, if she was there, that she could have gotten it there. Kelly threw some shade on his Instagram saying, oh, I missed the G-Land super spreader event, <laughs> but at least we had a little soiree of our, of our own on the boat. So I don't know. There's, there's a lot oh, of uh, oh. loose ends here, but yeah.
0: I missed that. Come on. Did he really <laughs> say that?
1: Yeah, he did.
0: Oh, fuck off. <laughs> That's just annoying. Oh, you guys had a party while I was on my boat. Cah. Come on, he's eliminated too. (laughs) John, John, and Kelly will not win the 2022 world title.
1: All right, there it is. You have it here, folks.
0: (laughs) Here it is, confirmed. Ryan Miller, the best surfing I've ever seen.
1: Ryan Miller, bad boy, Rai Rai, been shooting for 17 years. Best surfing I've ever seen was a decade ago on Reunion Island with. Geordie and Julian in their prime shooting for Geordie's Bending Color movie.
0: Mikey, I'm going to be honest with you here. This one gave me feelings inside my body. Why is that? I just think that era of surfing. So this was 2012. The session Miller's talking about is one, well, it's not really a session, it's a trip with Geordie Smith and Julian Wilson on Reunion Island at that crazy, crazy air right
1: one of the biggest ramps i've ever seen anywhere in the world the perfect air wind you could ever ask for and they blow hard it is not a light little breeze it is a super strong wind horrible for an average surfer to surf this wave maybe the worst wave on earth
0: and i just i think maybe it was at a point in surfing when i just loved consuming content that way Like, like you are, we're almost just, there's so much that you could watch today that you don't really revisit things where I think at that time it was more drip fed out. And so you'd get a video and you'd probably watch it three times because that's the only thing you really watch that week or that month, you know, and when it was back before that DVDs, that might be the only, you might watch two a year that you just have on repeat. And so it was an era of surfing that I think was just so burned into my head and yeah, it just maybe want to go order a 5'11 and try to do straight slob grabs. That's how it made me feel. Wow. Okay. Well, I had, it, this gave me
1: feelings as well. Um, but my feeling was more of, uh, I don't want to say dread. That's like way too negative. But like, I don't know, just confusion and maybe a bit of fear. Did surfing peak in 2012? Because so far we've had two episodes of the best surfing i've ever seen both of them were from 2012 we also have another one coming that i think a lot of people would argue is the best surfing that they've ever seen Um, and i know that one's going to be from 2012 as well you may remember a certain trip to japan that uh yeah so i'm seeing a bit of a trend here did surfing peak a decade ago
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember that 2012 ISA World Games that you're talking about, and it was (laughs) really crazy. (laughs) Um, So, I've been kind of sneakily holding on to this theory for a little bit. Last time Kelly Slater won a world title, 2011. The world was meant to end in 2012 with that whole Mayan Apocalypse thing. So, since then, people started talking about uh, Simulation, now I'm really connecting the dots. Jeez. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think surfing peaked and then the simulation started and that's now where we're at.
1: Wow. That is big. And it actually, if I remember correctly, I think the end of the world was supposed to be on December 21st, 2012. Sure. And do you know what happened just a week before that? I do not. Joel Parkinson beat Kelly Slater to win his first and only world oh. title in a in a relatively controversial fashion. Because if you remember, Joel hadn't won an event that entire year up until the Pipe Masters, which he did eventually win. And he'd also, he'd surfed three heats against Kelly Slater that year and lost all of them. So there's a lot of contention around this. So it, I don't know, there's there's a lot of factors. and it, we've, Maybe we've been thinking about this all wrong. It wasn't Kelly's 11th, it was the lack of Kelly's 12th that really sent this whole thing into a spiral.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, now it all makes sense. I mean, I didn't connect the dots with all this best survey I've seen stuff being 2012, but it's all out there folks. Um, and this one go watch and do your own research because <laughs> it will make you feel things. And it will make you go down deep conspiratorial rabbit holes. And that's a good thing.
1: Yeah, and it also, it's worth noting that this one's from Ryan Miller, who has arguably literally seen the most impressive surfing in the past two decades. Because of all the videographers and photographers out there in the world, like some of them, like Blake Cuny, you know, they focus on John Florence, which obviously you're going to see incredible surfing on a regular basis. But Ryan Miller's job is to go down at first light every single day at every single tour event and take photos of every single surfer on the CT. And he's there all day long, every single day, from literally pre-dawn till dusk, shooting photos of every single one of the world's best surfers every single time that they're in town for an event. So this is arguably the most like realistic best surfing I've ever seen.
0: I know, he really has seen everybody. And seen it in such, like, I think... I don't know, because at the CT events people i don't know sometimes they'll grab his action but i think you get he's always on the free surfs too you know like it's regardless of him shooting action of the event it's like if there's a good free surf happening because he's friends with everybody he's there and so i think any like groundbreaking free surf it's been around a ct event because that usually happens when there's good waves and for some reason the event's off or it's the day before obviously everybody's there everybody's gonna be in the best spot and good things happen, and so he's around all of those as well. I always think it's funny when, like, when he's at an event and there's a lay day or something that happens to have fun waves. You just go through a scroll on Instagram, and every single person has tagged him because <laughs> he was just there all day and got all his photos out before anybody else did. And like, literally, you go, you go on Instagram some days, and it's just Ryan Miller, it's just his Dropbox at Bad Boy Rai Rai like you might as well look at that instead just get them to include you to the Dropbox, and you and you could delete instagram
1: <laughs> very true so yeah best surfing i've ever seen um like we said and it's worth noting that this was um a trip to that to that right in reunion island which um it's that harbor wave that i think after julian and jordy went there for this bending colors trip nobody ever really went back because the shark attacks the started happening <laughs> yeah the simulation started happening shortly after that um and it's also worth noting, and this is maybe a bit of a segue into our next story, that this is a man-made wave. It didn't exist before the Ooh. harbor was created. So with that,
0: on to the next. New Zealand scientists with ties to big tech plans to resculpt Fijian Reef to make perfect wave axed. Whoa. Okay. This is, this is, I think it's funny. Is this, this more conspiracy? <laughs> There's a lot in that. This title. is a this is a real thing, and it's going to sound like conspiracies because you know all conspiracies have to tie back to like some big unknown organization, and that's why things are. It's just like a religion, you know. You have to blame something that's just like above, and you can't really see it or know it, so you just tie it back to that. Shake your fist um, at it a little, yeah. Yeah. So as part of that, there is an organization called the World Wave Project, which was. Get some money from an organization called the Founders Fund, which a gentleman named Peter Thiel, who started PayPal, is involved with. I don't know if he started if he's a CEO, but he's involved there, which means that he's in the Illuminati or whatever. (laughs) So big money here. Some very serious people and some serious money, and they presented a plan. This is the funny thing. So they really, they thought this plan out, and they presented it, and they actually had to present it, I think there's like 80 people in the room, the article says, and it was basically one of those things where what they're going to do is just chop up the reef to have it at an angle in a way that they think a perfect wave would stem from. And I think in their mind they really were thought that it was going to happen. They present like 80 people in Fiji and everybody's just like, fuck no, are you guys tripping? That's where we fish. And it sounds like they're actually surprised, like according to their numbers which sounds a little bit preposterous to me they're saying it was going to attract 200 tourists a day who'd spend a thousand dollars a day 300 days a year so that's 60 million a year a little bit much i mean you know more about fiji than i do but 300 days a year of swell is that is that realistic for fiji um i
1: mean it depends on your definition of swell i suppose you could certainly surf 300 days of the year easily like they get, um, you know, in the in the on season, which you could say is pretty much nine months from like March through October, maybe even into November, they're getting like consistent swells. So obviously, a lot of days bigger or smaller than others. And then there's a ton of islands in Fiji. It depends on where you are and a number of other factors. But yeah, you could surf 300 days a year.
0: Okay. Well, I wonder how they factor in. I mean, maybe I think it's worth a deeper dive into this just because... I haven't obviously like you said, reunion was a man-made wave, but accidentally, there's a lot of accidental man-made waves. I've never heard of somebody chopping a reef up to create a wave before. So I would assume they proved it on a small scale, but approving it on a big scale, especially with like waves coming from three hundred and sixty degrees of directions, like how are you gonna really know how it's gonna respond? So I do want to deep dive into it, unless the Illuminati kill me for exposing them already. But what a fascinating thing! I mean, what if had two hundred tourists a day too? That was that seemed a little bit robust for me as well, Doctor Sean Mead.
1: Yeah, I mean, even if you think of like Cloud break, right? Like the most renowned wave in Fiji, the, the Cloud Break doesn't see two hundred people in a day. Um, so I'd hope not. Yeah, Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a bit much. But on the other side, there is a bit of there's like a broader ethical environmental debate here, and I don't know. I don't think I have like a firm, like, yes, it's all wrong or obviously, yes, it's all right. Um, Not that one. But yeah, where do you stand on the idea of like creating waves in nature?
0: You know, I think, like I said, I want to dive deeper into this. haven't been able to yet, but I would imagine that this was angled in a way like I don't think chopping up a reef, which is a habitat for species, is a good thing. But they frame they try to frame it that way. Well, I think what they do, I think it's kind of like the wave pool thing. So they say, yeah, okay, we're digging some stuff up, we're going to use energy, we're going to use water, but we're going to turn people on to the environment, we're going to have all this educational stuff, and we're going to give people an experience that might make them value nature more, they're going to be able to eat local food here, and you know that's better than eating at the strip mall down the way, blah, blah, blah. I think that's kind of how they angle it, and I would imagine that this plan had something similar. It was like a, yes, we're going to chop up your reef, but we're going to do a... Uh, Restoration restoration project around the corner. Or we're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. I feel like that's how a lot of people work these days. So it's it's hard because I guess in theory I'm not opposed to fucking with nature to create some waves. Um, I would just it's a tough one. I guess it's tough, but in theory, no, I'm not opposed to it. It's okay. Just I think I think what was important here too is that it seemed like the Fijians were so strongly against it. And that will always be important. Like with that that wave in Barbuda, I think there's situations where money can just override everything. And when the guy behind PayPal gets involved, like that sounds like it maybe could have been the case here, but luckily Fiji seems like it has a government that has a good process and doesn't let the money just win. It actually lets eighty people get in a room and say no. So yeah, I think like it it's all gonna depend on the people who've who've are from there and, and know it and have used it for a while and have benefited it, and they fish there and all that so in theory no but i think you really have to involve the right people to arrive at the answer
1: yeah and it's also one of those things that it feels like you know in one instance it's probably not so bad but the precedent that it sets is potentially pretty scary um on the other hand it's like we see that surfing is growing so much and it seems like more waves would certainly help the situation um so i see both sides i think the way I think about it, like it feels pretty, it feels like a lot to me to dig up reef. But there's so many places where you can do this that are sand-bottomed. I mean, they basically did it in Coolangatta, like the Superbank mm-hmm. is man-made to a certain degree. So, and they also, I think in that same on the Gold Coast as well, they've created artificial reefs that are basically like a bunch of. I don't know, like rocks or sandbags that they drop somewhere, and it's supposed to make a little point break or something. I don't think that worked. But if, if you can do it on places that are sand bottomed and not reef bottomed, I'd certainly feel a lot better about it.
0: Mm, mm. You know, that's another thing maybe we should deep dive into, have Sony really look at for us, because even earlier this week, like I think in a lot of places that have, that rely on beaches for tourism, like the place I live now, you see like, There's a point in the year just before summer where this would happen in France too. You'd see like bulldozers moving sand around the beach in a way that I'm sure is known to make sure the beach stays big all summer rather than like the tide and the swell eating away at it. And all of a sudden, you have too narrow of a beach for people to really hang out on all day. Um, but one time I saw it, and it was literally just a bulldozer. It was low tide and he was just moving these mounds of sand into where the tide would sweep in. Like he was literally pushing sand that would effectively go into the ocean and it did fuck the sandbar for a bit, but understanding like the long-term effects there, like how sand even eventually finds its way to be in general, especially that was such a big thing in France. Sandbars just come and go like crazy. Uh, That's so interesting. It seems like such a big, complex, so many factor thing that, yeah, let's have somebody. Get into it for us.
1: (laughs) All right. Sounds good. Coming soon on Stab Premium.
0: Yes. Coming soon on Stab Premium. And one more conspiracy theory on this to bring us home. My theory. So these people, the World Wave Project, my theory is that they pitched this project and had a lesser one in mind. Like, just like a normal surf resort or something. Just the whole, like... Thing that probably wouldn't have gotten through if it was their first pitch, but they're just going big. They're throwing a massive thing out there. I'm like, fine, we won't chop up the reef. But how about this four-story (laughs) eco-hotel? Brilliant. Love it. That's my theory. That's one last conspiracy theory for, for this episode.
2: Yeah, boys. Loving what you're doing and loving the opportunity to cleanse my sins. My surf sin is that at a local board artist comp, about a year ago, I'd snapped my board and a mate of mine lent me his. It's probably, yeah, a year on now and I've still got my mate's board. In the process, I copped a couple little dings and I've ultimately decided to get it professionally fixed, largely due to my own lacklustre skill and general nincompoopery. So... Yeah, what is the penance required for not giving that board back or taking a year to fix it and just letting that be the elephant in the room every time I go surfing with a mate of mine? Also, what are some of the best upfront frameworks for borrowing mate's surfboards? Thanks, boys. Appreciate your work.
0: All right, Mikey, tell me. What do you think?
1: Well, I I can't fully relate to this just because I've never really like borrowed a friend's board. Like I've you know I've been out in the water and traded boards with somebody for a couple waves, but I've never like taken somebody's board and ridden it extensively. I love
0: I love when surfboard stuff comes up because you always <laughs> have like like we talk about the cost of surfboards or something, and then you're like, well, <laughs> well wait. this one's
1: this one's not even so much due to my access to surfboards. It has to do with my diminutive height and nobody's surfboards working for me unless i'm surfing with like a bunch of 11 year olds
0: what about glenn hall
1: yeah i could probably borrow glenn hall's board i'll, I'll try to we do that next time that i happen. see glenn
0: we should make that happen
1: yeah first of all i think we need to clarify that because this guy's friend or at least he didn't say that his friend had been like asking for the board back repeatedly and it was just kind of like this underlying awkward thing that they had going on with one another um, makes me think that his friend didn't love this board because you wouldn't let sure, a board that yeah. you love just, like, go without really making a fuss about it, right? Like, you'd be like, what the fuck, dude? Give me back my board. Um, so I'm, I'm going, like, I'm basing my penance based off of that assumption. So I think you need to treat it like card depreciation. So you need to think, what was the board worth when you got it? And what is it worth now with all these dings and whatnot that you've put into it? And I think you should simply pay your friend the difference plus 20% for being a dickhead. Just a little bit of interest on top. And that's it. Mm. That's simple.
0: Mm. Okay. That's clean. That's clean. I like it. Um, I think you're really addressing this in in a very specific way. You're speaking really to the specifics of this case. I'm going to kind of talk to the theory of it in general. And so, I think that a lot of people forget like especially if you are around surfing your whole life and you borrow boards from friends and everybody has all this stuff and blah 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 blah. blah. I think that you lose touch the fact that, in theory, somebody lending you a surfboard is an awesome thing. These are expensive things. These are should be more money. They're not enough money, and they're already expensive. Um, surfboards are really special, and somebody entrusting you with that, they break easily enough. Like It's somebody giving you that and allowing you to just go make your own decisions with it. That's a powerful thing. And so I think he needs to reconnect with that. I think he lost sight of that when he took it for a year, he for, just took it for granted. And to reconnect, I think what he needs to do is he needs to show up to the beach one day without a board and he has to borrow one. It can be a nice sunny day where people are just kind of surfing and then hang out on the beach. He doesn't have to surf or, for too long, but stock standard three waves constant session.
1: said he can't just take photos with it on the beach?
0: Oh no, no, he has to get <laughs> out the back. Okay. <laughs> um He needs, yeah, three waves, ideally more. I mean, we say three, we shoot for five, 10, sometimes 30. Uh, I'd say average 20. But yeah, I think he needs to do that. I've I've had to do that a few times and it's really weird. Um, I have found myself on the beach without a surfboard, just like go for a swim or something and realize there's a fun wave. I've done it, I think, once with a normal board and twice with a softy where I've just been like, fuck, I really want to surf. And have to just go assault a stranger into lending me a board. And it's uncomfortable for everybody. So he Do you needs have to, to tell them?
1: Like, do you tell them like hey, like you know, I can surf, I'm not like a fucking kook?
0: Uh, you just kinda say like you, you don't say like, oh I surf good, you're just like, hey, like I, I surf, like yeah, you, you say that, you don't you don't say, Hey, I just want to try, I've never done it before, you like say like, hey, like I, I can surf, I just didn't bring a board down, I didn't think it'd be fun. Um it's an awkward thing. It's never, it's always awkward. I mean, just like you would feel awkward if somebody just, you're hanging out on the beach reading a book and somebody's like, can I borrow your board? Like, what? Are you a psychopath? <laughs> um, that's what he needs to do. So good luck, heal, and we will see all of you next week.
1: With your surf in, send them in. Michael at StabMag.com, Buck at StabMag.com. Keep them flowing.
0: Keep them flowing because you deserve to heal. You know, you're there and you're just, it's this dark cloud over you all day and your friends can sense it, your family can sense it, even your dog can sense it. You see the way your dog looks at you. You need to heal and the way to heal is to submit a surf sin and go on your journey. God bless you all.
1: Thank you as always for listening to The Drop. Um, That's been pretty much everything that happened this week in surfing. And like I said, we're going to be talking way more about G-Land in a few days. Stacey and I are going to come on for a special episode of The Cusp. And we're gonna talk about everything that happened in Indo and straight into what's gonna happen in El Salvador. We're gonna let you know how we did with our bet online picks, so stay tuned for that. And until then, over and out.